Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's Tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and you might not know, you might notice Joey Parisi's not here. Joey is taking a week off, got some stuff to figure out with the show in terms of a time, but Joey will be back. Don't even worry about it. Um, next week is going to be Thanksgiving, so we're probably going to have a week off next week, but following that, we should have a little more clarity on everything that's going on with Joey, but everyone should be really excited because this is one of the biggest shows in the history of anything I've ever done. And of course, those of you who know, have been around, see me on Twitter, Instagram, all that. Today's the episode where we have an interview with Gavin Sheets, and I'm just very excited to reveal it to the world. It's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever done in my whole life. But first, we got some business to take care of. Last night, my Northern Illinois Huskies, they won. They won their division. They're going to Detroit. I cannot wait to see the boys. I'm I'm very proud of that team because last year they kind of stunk. I know it was the COVID year. A lot of people got a mulligan, but it's just insane the way that the team can just have a year like that and then just turn it around this year. So congratulations to all the boys on the Northern Illinois Husky football team. Uh, I'm really hoping I get to make it up to Detroit and see the MAC title game at Ford Field. I've done that before in the past and it is so much fun. And I, I just can't put into words how excited I am for the boys. Rocky Lombardi, you know you're my guy, my quarterback. You're who I root for and we'll see who their opponent is. But I'm really excited for the NIU football team. And of course, got to give a shout out. Frankie Mueller, man. What a game yesterday between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Seattle Kraken. You nailed it, kid. For those who watch Bar Down, talking hockey, you know, going over each and every game each week with Joey and Frankie, too much fun. Uh, that's all I got to say. Too much fun. We ate some salmon sandwiches. Make sure you check out that episode. But Frankie nailed his Hawks pick, and now they're heading over to Western Canada. So that basically recaps the sports last night because I'm not going to talk about the Chicago Bulls because. Well, you know why I don't want to talk about the Chicago Bulls. Anyway, back to baseball. Me and Joey made some picks last week. We went over Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, Cy Young, MVP. And you might want a recap of who won, who we picked. And I'll tell you, not pretty. So, Rookie of the Year was won by Tampa Bay Rays. 
Randy Arozarena. Of course, me and Joey, being the complete baseball gurus that we are, picked two other guys. I thought it would be Garcia, and Joey thought it would be Franco. We were both wrong. It was a Rosarena. The Rays have like 50 million rookies that were on this ballot. Um, great year. Well deserving of the award. Well deserving of the award. Like we saw how good someone like Gavin Sheets was this year in terms of his offensive production, playing around multiple positions, Andrew Vaughn. Well, you know, those guys were, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but they weren't quite what a Rosarena, Franco, any of those Rays guys quite were this year. But, you know, you should be proud of all the rookies. I always am weird when I talk about the rookie of the year each year because most of the time there are so many great young players. And if you're watching this show, you probably love baseball. And that's that's what I like to see. I like seeing 19, 20, 21-year-olds, even maybe a little older, come in and play the game and play it well. And hopefully it influences a bunch of kids around the country to come and play this great game. Now, we made it to the National League where Joey and I both picked Jonathan India to win the NL Rookie of the Year. And, of course, he did. That was one of our picks we got right. Credit to us. Um, there are some notes revolving our Chicago teams, of course. And if that is that Patrick Wisdom came in fourth place. We'll give everybody a little clap for Patrick Wisdom. Well-deserved, awesome, awesome, awesome year playing for the Chicago Cubs. Um, Patrick Wisdom's our guy. Um, we talked about Patrick Wisdom at length on this show throughout the summer. And I'm very happy to see that this is what's come of it for him. Fourth in the rookie of the year. That's no joke, especially when you're 29 years old. Normally, if you make it to 29 years old without ever completing your rookie year, chances are you're never going to really, truly break out. And guess what? Patrick Wisdom did. So credit to him. And then, of course, a guy in a similar boat to Patrick Wisdom, but probably even less likely, to be honest with you, is Frank the Tank, Frank Schwindel. He came in seventh. So this is a guy who basically made his Cubs debut after they traded Anthony Rizzo, which is very, very, very difficult thing to do. And... You come and do that. You play as well as he did. He had like an OPS just through the roof. And I'm proud of the guy. So hopefully that's something that's able to continue for him. The Cubs would certainly love to see it. And I I'm just happy for Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom. I'm not a National League like fanboy or anything like that. Like my team's in the American League. But I'll tell you, I appreciate good baseball. And good on Patrick Wisdom and Schwindel for doing that. And then we could head on over to the American League Manager of the Year, and that's Kevin Cash. And I, Tampa Bay Ray Heavy Award Ceremony, of course. Yeah, that's because the Rays are awesome. They do everything right. They don't spend a crap ton of money. They're not the Yankees. And it's just incredible to see this Rays team do what they've done. And Kevin Cash deserves all the credit in the world. A lot of people got on him for the way last season ended when he took out Blake Snell in the World Series and that borderline cost him the World Series. Don't kid yourself. The Tampa Bay Rays front office had a lot to do with that mistake. So uh, our guy, Tony La Russa, he came in sixth. And I thought he would finish a little higher than that. I would have voted him in the top three if I had a vote. Um, shout out to my friend Robert Murray who has been on this show a couple times. He had a vote for NL Manager of the Year, which we will get to in a minute, fan-sided represent. Um, if I had a ballot, I would have voted um, – what's his name from the Mariners? 
he would have been my pick for the the AL MVP or AL manager of the year without question. And I believe Joey and I, I picked him, Cervase. That's who I'm thinking of, Cervase. He's the manager for the uh, Seattle Mariners. That's who I would have voted for. Joey had Dusty Baker as the winner. Neither of us picked Kevin Cash. And I don't know if that's just because the Rays were so good. And I don't know. Um, Joey is actually in the chat. Where's the good looking guy normally to your left? Well, I don't know, man. Where are you? I'm just kidding. We know where you are. You're doing a good job. Um, but we both messed up this pick. Wouldn't you say, Joe? I know you're in the chat. Um, Kevin Cash, he's the winner. But one thing me and Joey both agreed on that we just absolutely nailed is that Gabe Kapler would be the manager of the year for the National League. And let me tell you something about Gabe Kapler. When he was with the Philadelphia Phillies and he was let go and the San Francisco Giants let or hired him, that is something that was so ridiculed, so ripped on, nobody in a thousand years ever would have thought that it turned out the way it would. They won 107 games. And I'm listening to this interview of him on um, MLB Network after he won the award. And he's like, someone asked him, when did you realize that this Giants group was going to exceed expectations? He goes, spring training. Spring training? We all picked you to come in fourth in the NL West. I think I had them third. But, like, the consensus was, like, the Rockies are probably better. The Dodgers are certainly better. And the San Diego Padres might be better than everyone. Padres fell off. The Dodgers were great, but they failed. to. They won 106 games, not 107. And you know what they say in baseball. You got to win your division. So, you know, Gabe Kapler, he deserves all the credit in the world. And he talked during spring training. Buster Posey, Crawford, um, what's Evan Longoria. Like, we could do this. Of course we could do this. So credit to him. He deserves it. And then, of course, there were no votes for David Ross, unfortunately. I'm a big David Ross fan. For those who don't know, my second favorite team in baseball is the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, Rossi played for the Red Sox for a very long time. So credit to Ross for – he dealt with a very difficult season this year. It's not easy to manage when you are faced with trading three superstar position players that won you World Series with you when you were a player. And then, of course, trading away a Hall of Fame closer and you know two very good relievers in Tapera and Chafin. Not an easy year for David Ross. So I don't know if I would have given him a vote to get him on the ballot, but he certainly deserves my mention out of pure respect. Now, we're over to the Cy Young. I think the easiest lock of all of these picks was Robbie Ray to win the American League Cy Young. And somehow that good-looking dude that's normally to my left just didn't pick him. He picked Garrett Cole, which is just crazy talk. For a Yankee hater that he is, too. Unreal. But Robbie Ray was unbelievable, well-deserving of this American League Cy Young. Our guy Lance Lynn came in third place. Not a bad place for him at all. The White Sox traded Dane Dunning for a player who came in third for the American League Cy Young. And... Lynn isn't the only White Sox pitcher to receive votes for the American League Cy Young Award. Carlos Rodon, Liam Hendricks, and Lucas Giolito all appeared on the ballot, got a couple votes. 
And I'm very happy for Lucas Giolito in particular, because in my opinion, Lucas Giolito is the ace of the White Sox staff, and he got off to a brutal start. Something wasn't working for him, and then he figured it out, and he was arguably their best pitcher down the stretch. And credit to Liam Hendricks, too. He won reliever of the year a week prior. We talked about it on last week's show. But I'll tell you what, getting a, getting multiple Cy Young votes, like second and third place votes, as a reliever who comes in and pitches one inning every two or three days, or when you have a, a short lead late, that means you were great. And Liam Hendricks pitched like 60-something innings, 70-something innings, and had 107 strikeouts and only seven walks. Seven. Unbelievable. If He basically won the Cy Young of relievers, and he it's well-deserved. Well, 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 well-deserved. Now, Cy Young for the National League, Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. You know I love the Brew Crew. Um, it was well-deserved. He won it over uh, Zach Wheeler who came in second place, but barely. He was only 10 points shy of winning the award. And that's a good pick. There's nothing wrong with voting for Zach Wheeler and even Max Scherzer, who came in third place in a season where he played for two teams. Now, I thought Scherzer was going to win it. I don't believe either of us picked uh, Burns. No, that's correct. Joey and I both thought that Scherzer would win it, and he ended up coming in third. So interesting how the voting went. I did notice that the guy who I thought before the finalists were announced, I thought Walker Bueller was going to win it. He came in fourth. So, and unfortunately there were no Cubs pitchers on the ballot this year. Um, none, nobody over there received votes, but you know, sometimes when you struggle as a team, pitching is the number one thing you look at and they just didn't have really good pitching this year. And that probably is the reason that led to them trading away all the players that they traded away. So congratulations to all of the winners, all of the people who received votes. And once again, I'm going to give a shout out to Robert Murray for getting a vote on a couple of these awards. Um, it, it was so cool to me to see fan-sided on the ballot. That, that just gives me a pretty big sense of pride. Like I'm very happy to see our guy doing so well and being out there. And I hope to reach that level of success one day. Maybe there will be a day where I get a vote. That would be sick. They'd probably hate all my votes anyway, though. Um, tonight we have the American League and National League MVP announcement. And that's going to be fun. Because there's a lot of debate going around with American League. In my brain, I don't see how it's possible that Shohei Otani isn't the unanimous MVP. I, like, I think he should get every single person's first place vote. But there are going to be people whose ballots come out and we see that they had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as the winner. And Joey and I both picked Otani. I think he wanted to pick Vlad Jr., but we both picked Otani. Um, listen, man. Shohei Otani hit 40-something bombs. Came in second in the whole league, I'm pretty sure. And he was the ace of their pitching staff. He started the All-Star game on the mound and let off for the American League. And I just can't believe that that's how it all shook out. And I just am so happy for Otani that the season ended up the way that it did. Because there were people starting to doubt him. A lot of people, smart, smart baseball people starting to doubt the guy. Can't be doubting Otani anymore. I don't know how long his career in um, 
the Angels organization is going to last. But sure is going to be interesting to see how that all goes down. I'll tell you that much. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he'll come in second. And Marcus Semien, he'll come in third. And two Blue Jays. I don't know if they have that. This happens in hockey a lot where people will be like, oh, I don't know if we can vote for Connor McDavid because Leon Dreisaitl's on his team and he only had 10 less points. And they play together and that takes votes away from one. I don't know if that's how baseball writers think. It's not how I would think. Because Marcus Semyon and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are both outstanding. I hope the White Sox sign Marcus Semyon in free agency so, so, so bad. And I hear from a good source that they're going to try. And whether or not they land them, that remains to be seen. It remains to be seen how much money um, our guy Jerry Reinsdorf is willing to shell out. But I'll tell you what, adding a guy like Marcus Semyon, that would be awesome. But shout out to Shohei Otani. I can't wait to watch you pitch. I can't wait to watch you hit. And I can't wait to see what kind of contract you sign. Because what do you pay a guy like that? If you pay a starting pitcher that's a really good number one, maybe probably like an elite number two, if you pay that guy $20 million a season and then you pay just an outstanding MVP level hitter $35 million a season, do you combine that when you pay Otani? Do you pay him two players worth of salary? It's not a weird question. I don't necessarily know that it'll shake out like that, but it's not a weird question. It's something I think about every day. How would I pay Otani? Would I pay him as a pitcher? Would I pay him as a hitter? Is there some kind of like 1.5 level deal? I'm very interested, but I hope he wins MVP and I'm rooting for him. I also like the story. People saying that a Japanese player can't be the face of baseball if he doesn't speak English. What are you talking about? I remember Stephen A. Smith said that, and he ended up apologizing for it. And, you know, I believe in accepting apologies for certain things. But, I mean, ain't nothing wrong with anything Otani's doing. He is awesome. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the greatest. He's having the single – having the season's over. He had the single greatest individual season in the history of the sport. That's right. I don't want to hear about Babe Ruth. I don't want to hear about Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Nope. What Otani did on the mound and at the plate all in one year is just otherworldly. He is two human beings in one, basically, when it comes to development of baseball. Do you know how many baseball coaches once you get to high school? And, like, I experienced this firsthand. Dude, you got to pick one. Are you going to pitch or are you going to be a position player? Otani was... Otani was the type of guy who, when he came out after his six or so innings were done, that's he would go play right field because the Angels forfeit the DH when he pitches. And I'm sorry, I think for as long as he's in his prime, he's going to be doing both. The Angels, whether it's the Angels or not, why wouldn't you guy want the guy who hits 45 bombs and a 3.4 ERA like doing both? Eventually, he'll probably cut out pitching, I would think. But like in the prime years of his career, go earn your money and make both, man. That That's just how I feel about it. Switching gears to the National League, the three MVP candidates, 
for the NL are Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres, Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals, and Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies. Of those three players, I think Juan Soto is the best. I think he is a top five player in Major League Baseball. But I do not think he will win the MVP this year. I think he might have multiple coming his way over the next couple years. But I think Bryce Harper has to be the guy who wins the MVP. And Joey and I both picked him for that role or for that award on our last show. So it was one of our few agreements that we had. And yeah, we'll see what happens with the NL, but it's a little more up in the air for me because if Tatis Jr., Soto or Harper won it, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't think it's weird. If Otani doesn't win it, I'd be kind of mad. I, I actually would be kind of mad. So we'll see what happens. Make sure you're following along with all the awards and I can't wait to see who won. I did want to mention a couple things going on across the league. Justin Verlander did re-sign with the Houston Astros last night. Before that, it was rumored that the White Sox were like heavily interested in him. I'd be okay with that. That's an all-time great Hall of Famer. Even if he's like 80% of what he used to be, the value of a Cy Young World Series champion future Hall of Famer like that, oh, second to none. I would have been all in on bringing in Verlander. That would have been awesome. And when Bob Nightingale tweets something, we all laugh for the most part. If it's about the Diamondbacks or even the Yankees or the Red Sox, yeah, we all chuckle a little bit because, you know, he didn't earn the reputation that he has by accident. But when it's something to do with the White Sox, you can kind of take it and run with it a little bit because he is fully connected with the White Sox organization. Jerry Reinsdorf, their pals. He, he feeds Bob Nightingale with information. So, and this is from my friend, Robert Murray, who tells me this stuff. Listen to Bob Nightingale. He's well-connected to the White Sox. And so he ended up signing with the Astros, but don't think for one minute that they weren't in on him. And then, of course, the other biggest news that came out from the week, Jose Barrios signed a long-term extension with the Toronto Blue Jays after being acquired by the Blue Jays midseason. That's a great pickup for the Blue Jays. I don't know if they're going to bring back Semi, and I hope not because I hope we want them to come to the White Sox. But they're going to be a good team that scores a lot of runs for a long time, and Barrios can be the ace of that staff. When he's healthy, he was one of the best pitchers in the American League. And then, of course, Noah Syndergaard left the New York Mets to go play for the Los Angeles Angels. I don't hate that one bit for either side. If you're the Mets, he's thrown two innings for you in the last two years. Two. Two innings in the last two years for the New York Mets. Why would you want to pay that guy $21 million to maybe pitch for you? But then if you're the Angels, I think it's worth taking that risk because, one, he's new. Things are always different when players are new. New motivation, new this, new that, new, new weather even. Literally anything that you can consider new sometimes feels good. So maybe they get a better version of Syndergaard than the Mets would have gotten. And you pair that with Otani, and it's a really nice – one-two punch at the top of a rotation. You land one more good pitcher or you hit on one of your 20 draft picks that you made and selected a pitcher with each and every one of them. Yeah, you hit on one of those 20. God forbid they hit on two. We'll see. But you got to try and take advantage of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani while you have them. 
And that's why I think it's kind of a good signing for the Angels. But the Mets, I'd be happy with Syndergaard. He turned out to be more like Matt Harvey than he did Jacob deGrom. And I know that sounds kind of harsh. Harvey was a good pitcher for a long time. I liked Harvey. I like Syndergaard. His nickname's Thor. I'm a Marvel nerd. I love a good Thor. Long, luscious, blonde hair. Ooh, so great. But he's taking his talents to the to the West Coast. And so that brings me to basically the end of my news cycle. We've got all the awards. Make sure you tune into MLB Network tonight to listen into what's going to go on with the MVPs. I'm super excited about it. I hope Otani wins. I don't care who wins in the NL. It won't bother me either way. I picked Harper, but we'll see what happens. But earlier this week, I was afforded an opportunity that I never in a million years would have thought would ever happen to me. I've been a baseball fan for a really long time. I've loved the White Sox since before I can remember. I have a pair of shoes that are like this big, and they're White Sox shoes. Like, I'll put them on my child one day. And so just it was a true dream come true to actually get the opportunity to interview a major league baseball player. And I hope it's the first of many. I've always said to the moon, there's no limits here, but this was a really good start. And before we get going, I do want to thank Joe Mandel for joining me on the interview and Aldo Gandia, the leader of the Barroom Network, for giving me a platform, giving all of us a platform. And I really hope everybody enjoys the interview as much as I did. And we'll discuss a little bit what we heard after the interview. But for right now, I would like to send you over to the Barroom Network exclusive interview with Chicago White Sox outfielder slash first baseman slash DH. Gavin Sheets. And we would now like to welcome you on to the interview portion of today's show. And of course, we're bringing in Chicago White Sox rookie and playoff awesomeness, Gavin Sheets. Gavin, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, of course, man. We couldn't be more excited to bring on an actual Chicago White Sox player. You're actually our first active Chicago White Sox player on this show. We've been going for a couple months now and you're the first. Love to hear that. <laughs> Love it, man. So of course, I'm going to start right there. Going into 2021, did you think there was a chance that you were going to actually be able to be called up and play Major League Baseball? Yeah, I mean, you always prepare for it. Um, you prepare for an opportunity. You prepare, obviously, the way the year went before. Um, no, I would say no, I, I didn't. You know, being left out of the alternate site and, um, you know, having to go to Instructs and and do all that stuff over again, it was, you know, it didn't look promising. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I felt that when I made the move to be able to add the outfield in, um, I think that was the biggest step I've taken in my career in terms of just kind of trying to take charge and, and force my hand almost. Um, so when I proved to to them that I could play the outfield um, and I got off to a hard, hot start in AAA, uh, I, I definitely saw that as a possibility. Um, when you look at our team and, you know, you see the need for a left-handed bat and, um, you know, obviously with the injuries going down left and right to start the season, it was crazy. Um, but I felt like I had a piece that I could add to the lineup. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, we got the got the chance and um, what a what a fun season it was. That's awesome, man. I honestly love to hear that. And it became apparent to us that you were going to get called up eventually because, uh, like you said, it was so good at the start of AAA Charlotte for you. And then, you know, there was just so many missing players early on. It's like, okay, Gavin Sheets is going to be one of those players called up here. What was it like for you 
the day you got that call, whether it be, you know, calling your family, your, your emotions, it had to be super exciting, of course. It, it was crazy. Uh, just, just a mix of emotion. Um, FaceTime my whole family together and they knew something was up when I FaceTime all in the same group, group chat. Um, but yeah, it was just a mix of emotions. I mean, it was a, it was a dream come true and, um, yeah, it was just exciting. Um, just that, that's the best way just a ton of emotions. And then, you know, not even to mention just having to pack up and everything that was all an afterthought. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, a night I'll never forget. That's awesome. Dude, that's, that's what it's all about right there. And I tell you what, it was, it was one of those seasons that'll kind of go down in all of us White Sox fans memory, because it just, we had so much adversity, so much up and down, you know, you came from a major league family. So I, you know, I have to ask, you know, what was it like growing up with your dad in the MLB? Did it, and did it make that transition uh, that much easier for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the baseball side of it, no, but the lifestyle side of it, absolutely. Um, you, you know, you're not, you're not blindsided. You, you know what to expect. You know how to handle yourself in a clubhouse. Um, you know, I think that that's huge. How to, how to handle yourself in a clubhouse as a rookie. Um, you know, you don't go in guns blazing, loud, attention on you that's that's the last thing you want to do you 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 know you want to get there and and gain the respect of the guys by the way you work by the way you go about your business um and almost feel like they they don't know that you're there until the lineup's in and and you're in the game um and that was kind of how i tried to handle it you know obviously obviously i enjoyed the guys what a great clubhouse um you know such an easy way to be acclimated to a clubhouse just the way they made us feel comfortable and you know i think that's credit to them for you know, why there was so much success this year with young guys. Um, they just invited us in, but, you know, being able to ha- know how to handle yourself in the clubhouse. And, um, you know, obviously my dad could prepare me for, you know, the ins and outs of, you know, the game and um, what to expect. But once you get on that field, it's, it's, it's all about what your, your preparation and, um, you know, if you're ready to go, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I was prepared for the moment and uh, yeah, a lot of it was coming from just being at a young age growing up in the stadium. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And, and I don't know if you know this, but we actually pulled up footage of uh, one of your dad's walk off home runs. And it's almost <laughs> identical to your playoff home run. So hang on. Let me show you. This is your dad's walk off home run in 1988. All right. So same exact spot you hit yours in the playoffs. Oh. OK, so hang on a second. I'm going to pull up the other one just so you can see the similarities, because it's unbelievable we just realized this right before we went live and i'm like we got to show this to gavin because i don't even know if he noticed this but here is your home run in the alds to the exact same spot (laughs) wow and the guy tried to rob it too (laughs) yeah yeah oh that is awesome that's really cool so yeah we weren't sure if you noticed that but we did and we had to point it out to you (laughs) yeah that is that is really quiet i've never noticed that i've seen that home run before but uh, when you break it down side by side, that's pretty cool. I had to ask you something that I feel like I would ask basically any player that played for the 2021 Chicago White Sox, and that is, what it was it like to play for Tony Larusa? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I felt as a rookie, he was he was fantastic. Um, you know, pulling me aside. I, I'll never forget the first day, uh, my first start. He pulls me aside and he goes, "Hey, you're in there." Um, you know. I, this is what I want you to do. He's like, I want you to err on the side of aggressiveness, you know, do what you've done this whole time. 
if you're going to be aggressive, I, I want you, if you make a mistake, I want it to be aggressive. I want you to get in the box. I want you to be aggressive. I want you to, you know, be on attack the whole night. He's like, enjoy this, but just don't be afraid, you know? Um, and, and that was so cool because, you know, first and foremost, it's your manager, but it's also a hall of fame manager. And, um, you know, he, he, he would pull me aside every once in a while and, you know, tell me stories about Pujols, tell me stories about, you know, Larry Walker, tell me stories about, you know, what made these guys great, what he saw from them. And, um, it, it, for me, it was such a cool experience playing for him. Um, you know, I've grown up in an old school baseball family. My dad's very old school with the way he looks at the game, thinks about the game. So, um, you know, have Tony, who's extremely old school with the way he goes about his business and the way he handles, you know, manages the game. Um, it fit my style and, uh, I, I love playing for him. I thought he was, thought he was great for the team. I thought he, I think he's great for baseball. Um, and you saw the way, you know, all of us rallied around him. Yeah. You guys really did rally around him and it made the team really exciting all season long. Um, and of course he had the confidence to stick with you, you know, in that ALDS series and you had one heck of a series going batting 333 with a huge home run and two runs scored. You know, talk a little bit about that experience that you gained by performing so well on such a big stage. Oh man, that was, I still get goosebumps thinking about the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously getting called up, playing on a first place team, you can't beat it. You can't beat being in a winning clubhouse in September and August. Um, but to get to the playoffs and, um, you know, start in Houston, which was, which was cool. You know, Houston was cool to start at, but, um, you know, obviously when Abreu first game was sick and, um, you know, I had, I got thrown into first base kind of unexpectedly. I mean, I knew, you know, kind of the day of that it was going to be me at first. Um, so that was a, a mix of emotions uh, when you prepare to be the DH and um, you're thrown into first base. But yeah, it was just getting home and I'll never forget Sunday night, um, you know, playing Sunday night in that front of that blackout at night. Uh, that was that was unbelievable. Um, you know, the just the uh, what was it? The roster lineup, the lineup calls and everything. Um, to have that in your rookie season. I mean, my dad played eight years in the big leagues and never got to play in the playoffs. And, you know, to have that in my rookie years was crazy. And it was, it was an absolute blast. Um, the way the fans rallied around us all season long was, was incredible. And, and it kind of all culminated to that night. I mean, when those lights turned out there, I was, you know, I felt like a fan. Um, you know, I kept pinching myself that I was in the starting lineup, but I mean, that was, uh, that was a night I'll never forget. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it was, was cool. so energetic. Vinny and I were both there, and I tell you what, I'll never forget it either. So loud. It was, you know, I, I did not feel like I was at a baseball game. I felt like I was at a football game or a Sunday night football game, Monday night football. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt we fed off of it. We fed off it all night. I remember being at first base when um, Larry Garcia hit that three on home run. They just made the pitching change after I got the hit off um, Garcia and – I remember looking at Debo saying, "If this, if he hits a home run right here, this place is gonna blow up." And sure enough, <laughs> he hit that. And that place was, when those lights were going in and out, and I was running around the bases, I felt like I'd hit the home run. It was, it was incredible. That's awesome. It was honestly one of the funnest nights of my sports watching life. It was just so yeah. cool to be there as a fan. Um, you brought up that you played first base in that first playoff game, and you know we were all a little surprised by it. Uh, is Jose okay? We all, you know, it's obvious how important he is to the lineup, but you also didn't play first base as much in this season. And you kind of alluded to adding the outfield to your arsenal before the season began. 
talk about what it was like for you to play a position that you kind of didn't expect to play in Major League Baseball maybe two years ago. Yeah, I remember. I'll never forget sitting in uh, my first game and Vaughn was in left. I was in right. And we we came to center field and, you know, we were looking at each other and Goodwin was in center. I said, Goody, did you ever think you'd see Vaughn ride your left and right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and that was kind of the story of the season. You know, it was, it was guys stepping up in, in roles they weren't used to. And, um, you know, Vaughn did a tremendous job of it. And, you know, I tried to kind of model the same thing as him. Talk, you know, ask him for tips, ask him for. And it's not just, you know, playing wise, it's how to handle your nerves. Um, you know, to, to make your major league debut in a, in a position that you played 30 games at in AAA your whole professional career, um, you know, there's a lot of nerves that go into that. And, uh, yeah, it was fun, though. I embraced it. He embraced it. You know, um, Jake Lamb, when he was there, he embraced it. And, you know, it's it, it's part of – it's, you know, sometimes you got to do stuff like that to get in the big leagues. And um, when you have a guy like Jose Abreu at first base, you know that you're not beating him out. You know, no matter how well I play – at any point, you know, Jose Bray is going to be the first baseman. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm there to give him a day off when he needs one or needs a DH day. <laughs> and I understand that. Um, but I have to find a way to get myself in the lineup. You know, I can't just take a back seat to him. And, um, you know, that was my philosophy the whole time was how can I get in this lineup? How can I help this team win? Knowing that, you know, we have an MVP at first base. And so that was kind of the, the mindset I took. Dude, that's that's a great way to look at it. And, uh, you know, the South Side, you kind of fit that South Side mold. You know, South Sox fans love that grit, the way you kind of approach the game, you know. And uh, I just got to ask you, you know, the South Side's a little different compared to, like, other parts of the country. You know, what's it like playing on the South Side, 35th and Shields, to a full house, just like, you know, when this team is firing on all cylinders? I mean, that place gets pretty lit up. It's incredible. Um, I would hate to be a visiting player coming into our stadium. I'd hate to be a, I'd hate to be the visiting left fielder with those bleachers. I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine what goes on out there with those guys. But um, no, it is different. There's no doubt about it. There's no, no stadium like it. Um, no fan base like it. And that's what's you know we we embrace it wholeheartedly. Um, you know we feed off that. We feed off the the grit, the the swagger that they bring, and um, it, it's it's fun. You know that's. We, we just, you know, T.A. leads it with us and, um, you know, and, and we just feed off him. We feed off the crowd and um, you, you saw it in the playoffs, you know, you go to Houston and it's a good atmosphere. It's loud, no doubt. But you, you, when we came home to the south side, it was it was a different type of energy. And uh, I think even teams that we play against saw it. And talking about this stadium, you know, I have to ask, have you had a chance to go on the concourse to left field and take that shower out there? I have not. I am not. I'm not sure. Uh, that, that's not high on my list, but I, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go check it out for sure. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the fan classics of the old Comiskey Park. It's like literally like a way to just cool off. It's like a giant cold shower in left field. So if you're ever in the middle of a batting practice or yeah. afterwards, um, yeah, you could think of our uh, us two crazy guys when yeah, you look up at that crazy shower. shower. You could find me in line for the dipping dots right next to it. Oh, I'd be exactly. Right I'll be right there with you. So you brought up Jose Abreu. He's easy to bring up when you talk about anything White Sox. Honestly, when you think of the history of the White Sox, especially recently, like first baseman is just such an important deal, I think, with this team. You go from Paul Canerco and it's like, okay, who's going to replace this guy? He's all of our favorite players growing up. Jose Abreu comes in. He arguably is better. And, you know, we're hoping that they all have the same impact as Paul. 
but you're kind of on that list now. You and Andrew Vaughn are both seen as guys who can play first base going forward. What would it mean to you to be one of those like all-time great White Sox first basemen? Uh, it'd be incredible. Um, I mean, those guys are unbelievable names. I mean, you talk about Tomey and Frank Thomas and and Canerco and Abreu. It's just, I mean, it's it's Hall of Fame caliber players. Um, and to be, you know, even put on the list or mentioned or even put in the same group with those guys is um, incredible. Because, um, I mean, those guys are are guys that I've modeled, looked up to my whole life. Um, you know, Jim told me I, I watch his swing all the time growing up. You know, in college, I watched his swing. I tried to model some stuff after his swing. I work with him in spring training. Um, nicest guy in the world. And now, obviously, Jose Abreu is, you know, could arguably be by the end of it better. I mean, who knows? You know, I don't know what is left in store with him, what he's got left. But, um, yeah, it's it, it's so cool just, just playing with him day in and out, having him as a mentor, um, just watching the way he works every day. You know, his work ethic is is unbelievable. Um, you know, first one in, last one out every day. And, um, you know, seeing that up close and having him pull me aside and, you know, Vani as well, he pulls both of us aside and um, just to listen for him, watch video with him. It's it's pretty incredible. It's pretty, it's, it's fun to be around. That's awesome. You can include Abreu in this answer if you want, but I, maybe besides him as well or him and someone else. An MLB veteran, once you got to the White Sox, that offered you the most in terms of advice or, you know, how to prep, how to be, and anything that helped you along the way. Yeah, Jose was big. Um, honestly, for me, I, I think it was uh, it was Grandal. Um, he he pulled me aside and, you know, at, at first it was he was he was pretty stern. Um, you know, it was kind of and, and kind of pushed me away a little bit, but we were going back and forth and you know, by the end of it, my relationship with Yaz was was really good. Um, he actually, he pulled me, I'll never forget, he pulled me in the video like two weeks left in the season and said, you know, I see something in your swing and I, I think we can get this fixed. And, um, you know, he was pulled, he pulled up video of, of all my good swings and then he pulled up video of, you know, some of my bad swings and said, you see the difference. And we broke it down and he said, I think if you can get more consistent with this move, um, I think you can put up really big numbers and be a consistent, you know, great hitter. And, we worked on it. He said, you know what, you, whenever you go hit, you're not allowed to hit without me. And I said, all right. I said, and he said, no, whenever you go hit, I need to be there. And I said, okay. So um, in the beginning, it was tough. Like I, it was tough to throw it right into the game, the adjustments and, you know, it wasn't clicking at first. So it was frustrating, but you know, he kept on. I mean, I'll never forget. He came to my room one night and uh, I think we were in Detroit maybe. And he sat in there watching video with me until like 1230 in the morning. And was like, we can get this. Wow. You know, this do you see this do you see this and um i was like yes i, I promise you i see it i promise we can we can fix this and and sure enough i think right when we got home it was like the last when it finally clicked it was like the last week and a half of the season where i think we started with cincinnati and um i think i homered back-to-back -back nights and then finished the season and got my average from like 220 to 250 in the last week and and then obviously rode it into the playoffs and uh you know for a guy like that to take the time out and one for him even to find it by looking at my video before we even talked, but two to, you know, sit in my room, stay there, you know, just beat it down and say, Hey, when you hit, you're coming with me. Um, that, that meant a lot. And, you know, obviously he's a unbelievable all-star caliber player. And, you know, I hope he gets a world series ring with us really bad because, you know, he's, he's dying to get one and that's, you know, kind of the last thing he needs in his career. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty special, and um, you know, obviously, to for it to click and for it to work was obviously a, a bonus for me. But um, just the way he he pulled me aside was pretty cool.
I love that's, that. Dude, they, I love hearing stuff like that because it, it, it talks a lot about the clubhouse and just, you know, how tight you guys were. So that's so cool to hear. And, you know, you talked about, you know, analyzing your swing. I'm curious, Gavin, if you have any, you know, major goals heading into the 2022 season. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously to build on build on last year, um, you know, I, I don't want to put, you know, statistic numbers out there. Um, sure, sure. Just just to build off last year, you know, I, I think that for me, the next big step is is not being a platoon guy. Um, it's facing left-handed hit pitchers, having success off them. So I'm going to work hard this offseason on, you know, lefties and just that angle. And, um, you know, I was able to do it in the minor leagues, but obviously the big leagues is completely different. And, you know, it's my job to prove that I can do that at the big league level. Um, you know, obviously last year was tough because, you know, when, when my playing time was, it was coming down the stretch, you know, we, it, it wasn't experiment time. It wasn't, you know, just, you know, play this guy through everything. It was, you know, we need to win. So uh, I completely understood that. And, you know, my goal next year is to kind of prove that I can be, you know, an everyday guy. Um, and that's, that's up to me, which is, um, you know, so that's something I'm going to take pride in and, and work on this off season, but yeah, I'm going to continue to, to work in the outfield as well. Um, get more and more comfortable out there while, while working at first base, but yeah, I think just the uh, biggest thing for me is just to build off last year. You know, take what I've learned, um, continue to work, and and get ready for for next year. Awesome. So I was at a game. I want to say it was in July, and you had been crushing the ball lately. Like you were on a stretch, but you hadn't had your first career home run yet. And I'm at the game with two of my cousins and my brother. And like the at bat before, you hit a ball to Pluto, but it was foul. Yeah. And I looked at my cousin and I was like, his first career home runs coming really, really soon. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be in this at bat. Obviously I'm not, you know, some kind of weird being that's just going to predict a home run right now, but it's coming soon. It might be next game. It'll be by the end of the week, I think is what I said. And I kid you not on the very next pitch, you blasted <laughs> that wall, that ball that's on the screen. And my cousin looks at me and goes, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, I I'm not anything. I He's just been, you know, the barrel's been on the bat lately. You know, the swings are looking good. And boom, right there. It was, it was in that blowout against the Twins. Yeah. When I want to say it was when Donaldson hit that home run to lead off the game. I yeah, could be did. wrong on the game. And, you, you know, it was, it was that all fun stuff. But did you kind of see your home run coming the same way that I did? Or am I just crazy? I, I, that at bat, um, you know, obviously to get there, the best thing that happened to me this year was was getting off to a hot start. I think that, that alleviates everything. It just relaxes you. It gets you going. Um, and, you know, to get off to a hot start and had some balls, you know, my first couple of hits were opposite field, which which when I'm doing that as a hitter, you know, I, I feel pretty good at the plate. And so I knew if I, I could knock out the first couple of hits and, and kind of get things going and um, that at bat, I think that was like the eighth pitch of the bat, eighth or ninth pitch. I fell off a bunch of pitches and I started seeing them really well. And um, so I, I was feeling really comfortable there. And I finally got a pitch over the middle of the plate that I could, you know, just back up a little bit and, and get it in the air. And uh, yeah, sure enough, hit that home run. And I'll never forget saying before the game or when I was, before I even played, um, you know, somebody hit a home run and I wasn't playing that day and I saw the fireworks and the lights going off. And I was like, man, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like for the first one. And sure enough, when that stuff started happening, just what an incredible feeling, just the way they use those lights and everything. It's, it's awesome. 
Oh yeah, and it was like the sixth home run of that game too. Yeah, if I remember correctly. It was a good night to be in the starting lineup for the White Sox. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> it was a slugfest. There's been there was yeah. a lot of those this season, but <clears throat> you know, Gavin. One thing I was curious about across all of Major League Baseball this year was, you know, how much did COVID protocols affect the clubhouse? You know, in a normal season, there'd be guys playing video games in the clubhouse, kind of hanging out. You know, was there any of that going on, or was just how different was it? Yeah, I think. Um... Once we got to once the vaccine was at 85% for all the players, once 85% of the team was vaccinated, we could kind of go back to normal. Um, Cool. So when we got to 85%, you know, the mask started to come off. Um, We could get back to normal. Testing slowed down. So that was that was big for us. Um, I I think it just brought some normalcy back to the clubhouse. And, you know, if you walked in, obviously all the, you know, the external um, protocols are being followed. But you know, when, when we got to that 85% and we could kind of take the mask off and feel like, okay, we're in a clubhouse, you know, we can have fun. We can be we're around these guys all day. Like, um, so that was, that was really important for us to kind of get back to that normalcy. And the clubhouse was, was unbelievable. Um, you know, just, just a fun place to be just a winning atmosphere the whole time. So yeah, luckily COVID once, once that 85% rule came in play, um, luckily for us, it didn't really, didn't really shake things up. Now, last year, obviously, it was completely different. Um, you know, I heard stories about last year and, you know, how just excited guys were to be in a normal clubhouse this season. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable, man. And and I'm so glad you guys got that because, you know, last season and, and the first half of this season, I mean, I feel like it would be hard for a clubhouse to kind of bond. And it seems yeah. like you guys were able to do that once uh, you guys hit that threshold. So that's Absolutely. great. <laughs> Absolutely. So – your friend Jake Berger got the call up this year and it just seems like you two have a blast together. I don't know your guys' relationship, but it just seemed like his Twitter. If you go to his Twitter, it's just all Gavin sheets. Yeah. And you know, I love seeing that. It's really fun to see the white Sox enjoy each other and the fans and all that. But can you talk about your relationship with Jake and what are your thoughts on him going into next season? Cause we're excited to have him. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, Jake is, is awesome. You know, we were drafted the same season. He was the first round, second rounder. So we had a, you know, we were, were we had a built a relationship right then. Um, you know, obviously never met each other before the White Sox, and um, all of a sudden we were, you know, best friends, roommates, flying out together from to to Arizona, flying together to Kannapolis, rooming together. Um, so it was like a, two guys had never met to being like attached at the hip. And uh, you know, obviously when he went down in spring training the next season, that was was heartbreaking. Um, I was yeah. at that game, and you know, it was just terrible. Um, and an injury like that, you know, nothing's guaranteed, especially, you know, obviously you retort when he's working back out and it, it was just a, a terrible, terrible thing to happen. And, uh, you know, the worst part was not only is a great player, but a great person. And, you know, obviously he was, he was battling just everything, mental, physical, and just seeing that was just, was awful. Um, but then on the flip side, seeing everything this year was just made it that much, just that much better. Um, just the way he swung the bat in triple a and seeing the way he bounced back and, you know, going from not playing in, in low A, just from skipping double a high a getting triple a and just crushing the baseball. Um, that was awesome because it couldn't happen to a better person. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm excited. He, he came up a week later, um, got caught up a week after I did. And, you know, I, I, it, it was cool for me because, um, you know, I got off to a hot start and, you know, I, I got the first hit, the first home run out of the way. So I, I could kind of sit back and enjoy watching him do it. You know, I wasn't it wasn't like, man, I was pressing at the play. Like, I need to get this stuff done. I need to I wasn't focused on that. I was like, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to have fun. He, you know, I'm just going to watch him enjoy this with him um, because, you know, 2017, that was our goal. And, you know, obviously 18, 19, everything looked fuzzy. And uh, to see him to be there together and, and doing that together was was pretty cool. Um, so that was testament to his work ethic and, and just the way he bounced back from that. Dude, that's amazing. We can't wait to see you both on the Chicago White Sox next season. Um, let's let's switch gears and, and get some get to like some fun uh, non-baseball talk. So yeah. I, I got to ask, being, of course, on the south side of Chicago, did you get to try any Chicago delicacies? Did you get any of the Chicago food uh, yet when you're in town? So I, I, I'm a big Giordelli's guy. Um, I love the pizza – or Giordano's. I mean, Giordano's, Giordano's. I love yeah. the pizza um when every family was in town we would go there and we get the pizza immediately and be like before you guys like they want to go to a nice dinner i'm like no, no no you guys need to try this first so we'd go there um <laughs> I, I lived right across from chicago cut right across the river from chicago cut so oh yeah, nice was, that was my place to go on nice dinner nights um date nights we go there and uh yeah between those two places i mean obviously we didn't have many off days to to go around stuff but um man that the, the pizza, I, I'm a big deep dish guy, so I I was a big fan. And then, uh, you know, obviously Chicago cuts the, the best of the best with steakhouses and stuff. So, um, but man, Chicago, I feel like I could have been there all year and needed a different place every single night and had unbelievable food. And it's, true. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I, I fell in love. I, I hadn't been to Chicago much. You know, I'd come to some Sox Fest. I've been to two Sox Fest, but even then you don't get to really venture out and, and get the the full vibe until you're there in the summer. And, uh, man, there, there's nowhere better than, than Chicago in the summers and, uh, to live downtown and, and kind of embrace the city and, and just walk around during the days before games. It was, uh, yeah, I fell in love big time. Gavin sheets being a deep dish guy. That is just <laughs> one of the greatest things I've ever heard. It's amazing. When you're on the road, What's your favorite thing to do to pass time, whether it be on the airplane, in the hotels, you play cards, video games? What's going on with Gavin Sheets and the boys? I love playing cards. Um, we had a big card group. We would play on the plane and then uh, we'd get back to the room and be. It was actually a group you would never expect. It was uh, a couple of different. It was Collins, Vaughn, Grandall, and <laughs> Billy Hamilton and Brian Goodwin. So, oh, I mean, man. You couldn't pick. Yeah, I mean, there's no way if I gave you a group said pick six guys. Um, but no, that that was who it was, and we had a blast. Um, you know, we play in the clubhouse on the way games. We play in the clubhouse because we get there really early, and uh, play in the clubhouse, play in the hotel rooms, play in the planes. Love to pass time like that. Um, we had a blast playing. You know, a lot of smack talk was going on back and forth, and uh, but no, we we that was our card group and. Um, I think we even took a picture the, the night that we night that we clinched in Cleveland. We took a card group picture in the clubhouse, all holding champagne. So, uh, <laughs> so it, was a, it was a tight bond, I, to say the least. That's awesome. I know, and no one would ever know that because I now that you say that, and when I'm thinking back to some of those pictures, I definitely remember seeing you with Yasmani yeah. taking mm-hmm. a picture in the clubhouse. That is yeah. really funny. I enjoy what, that. what are you guys playing? Poker? We played a game called Pluck. It's a ah. two-on-two game, so a lot of smack talk. It's kind of like spades, but a lot of smack talk, a lot of uh, a lot of going back and forth. So, um, yeah, it was it was funny. You don't have to throw your teammates under the bus if you don't want to, but I am curious who's good at it and who stinks. Oof. Vaughn wasn't very good. 
know, we, <laughs> we like to get on him. He, he'd say the same about me, I know. But we like to get on him. We like to go back and forth. Um, I'd say Billy Hamilton and Yaz were the two best. Um, Yasmani was actually the guy that taught me the game. Um, so I started calling him because we, we would always be teammates. And I started calling him Miyagi, and I was the card kid. So, <laughs> so that was that was our little bond, and um, he would teach me, and uh, yeah, we we had a blast. I mean, it was just it was always fun. People knew what was going on. Uh, Kimbrel Kimbrel would come in and play some too, um, but yeah, it was it was uh, definitely kept things light. And I mean, even before the playoff games, we were playing cards to keep things light and, and get ready to go. That's awesome. dude. That that is amazing. This is. I can picture it now. That that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, uh, on, on our network, the barroom network here, we dabble in entertainment news as well. So the the Spider Man No Way Home trailer just dropped. Is there anyone in the White Sox clubhouse that is a Marvel fanboy, a DC fanboy? Do we got anybody like that in the clubhouse? It's mm, a good question. I could see Geo being one. Um, I'm not, he's, he's big into, you know, the video game. He's really big into video games. Um, I could see him being in that. I'm terrible with movies. I, I don't watch movies. I can't do it. I can't sit there for that long. <laughs> um, but I, I could definitely see, definitely see Geo being in on that or um, even Liam. I could see Liam in on that as well. That's funny. You say that about Giolito with the video games. Cause during the pandemic, when like things were like, you were at home, I spent way too much time watching Giolito play in the MLB The Show tournament. Oh, yeah. ridiculous how many hours. Yeah. He's so he's so good. He's so good at it, and he, he's a fun personality listening to him talk. So, um, yeah, he was great at that, all that Twitch stuff and everything. That was that was awesome that MLB put that together. Um, but, no, I, he's he's a big he's a big gamer, so I could definitely see him being into Marvel and, and, and all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Joe, do you have anything left for Gavin before we let him go? Man, I, I just got to say how much of a, a privilege it was to watch you and the rest of this team this year. And we're just so excited to see what you guys can build upon in 2022, man. I appreciate it. I can't wait. I mean, you know, I think the coolest thing for us was was getting there and being a part of that playoff stuff. But it, it left a it left a bitter taste in our mouth the way we went out. So, um, you know, I think we're going to be burning for more, which is going to be fun. Um, I, I think that we'll be right back in that position next year and, and uh, looking to go much farther. Absolutely. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. We're super happy to have you in the White Sox lineup, you know, big lefty bat. You're much needed. You're much appreciated. And I know there are lots of Sox fans around the Chicagoland area that love Gavin Sheets and love your game. I get tweets all the time, you know, get Gavin Sheets, do this, do that. I'm like, all right, all right. You know, so you're, you're popular around these parts. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. This was uh, this was a blast. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Gavin, thank you so much. And uh, we, we look forward to uh, having you on again at some point in the near future and have a great offseason. Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Gavin Sheets of the Chicago White Sox. He was as candid and thoughtful with his answers as I ever could have wanted. Um, It's just a treat, you know, to interview a major league baseball player, a kid who has a great future ahead of him, just coming on and helping the show a little bit. And 
giving us answers, talking about a little food, some nerdy stuff. They play cards. What a motley crew that plays cards, eh? I mean, it's just, it was so cool to me to hear some of the stories and how Tony LaRusso would use someone like Albert Pujols to go out there and help him or how Grandal would stay up with Gavin Sheets watching film till like 1230 in the morning. Like that to me is just so cool. And, you know, those people who appreciate baseball and how hard baseball is can listen to what Gavin is talking about and realize the importance of it. So thank you so much to Gavin Sheets. Thank you to Joe Mando for coming on. Thank you for everyone in the chat. Thank you, Aldo, for great editing. Uh, the Barroom Network is just a beautiful, beautiful place. And speaking of the Barroom Network, we got some stuff coming up tonight and across the rest of the weekend. So, of course, it starts with tonight, 4 p.m. Central. Former Chicago Bears head of scouting, Greg Gabriel, will talk Bears and Ravens. That's going to be a great game. Hopefully the Bears don't get too embarrassed. Um, also tonight at the barroom, Danny Shimon examines the progress that Justin Fields has been making on the Bear Truth. Join us at 9 p.m. Central Time. A new show for Spanish-speaking Bears fans. Don't miss the debut later today of Bears Preview right here on the Barroom Network YouTube channel. It's a four-minute Bears update show in Spanish. That's awesome. And also don't forget to visit the variety catalog that is on-demand shows that we have on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else you could get your audio and visual podcasts. Of course, the Barroom Network. You could get it at the Barroom Network on at Barroom Network on Twitter. Of course, I believe it's still Bears Barroom on Twitter or on Facebook, I mean. So make sure you're checking up all the great programming that's going on there. Of course, I'll be back next Wednesday on Bar Down Blackhawk Talk with Frankie Mueller. And we'll be recapping all the things going on in the NHL land. And, you know, I, I can't wait for next week. And once again, thank you so much to Gavin Sheets for coming on. It was a pleasure. And, of course, you can follow me at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. And thank you so much for listening. We'll